crews down at the front here, and they will make their way upstairs for kids' crew. After church is finished this morning, after our service, I should say, is finished, parents, you'll be able to claim them upstairs, just beyond the balcony exit on that same east side, you'll find our kids' crew worship room. We're going to be in James chapter 4 this morning. James chapter 4, we're working our way through the book of James, and we find ourselves in a passage this morning, as I've already mentioned, that ultimately is going to point us to this idea of God's grace and how we can live in such a way that our lives would be surrendered to the grace of God. And so we'll, we'll uh, examine that in James chapter 4. I want you to think about, for just a minute with me, think about your friends. Think about your closest friends, the people that you, you share life with at the, at the deepest level, right? Maybe for some of us, uh, our closest friends are people that we've known for a lifetime. And some of my closest friends are people that I've known literally as far back as I can remember. Some of my oldest memories are of these friendships and the, and the close connection that we had over the year. A lot of people meet their closest friends in life maybe when they go off to college and, and they they connect with some people and they establish those close bonds and then those bonds travel with them throughout the rest of life. Even if they live in different places and live in different towns and do different things, they, they stay closely connected to those people that they shared those years of life with. Some of us find that our closest friends become the people that that we connect with along the way. Maybe people that have children the same age as our kids, and so we connect with those people and, and we develop a friendship and, and maybe what even starts sometimes around the, the lives of our kids and the connection that our kids have develop, develops for us into a close bond of friendship. All of us can think of the people that we're close to and the friends that we have. Have you ever had a friend that you've been so close with that you find that when you, when you spend time with this person, you end up acting like them, right? That, that, that you end up saying the same things, you end up laughing at all the same things. You, you, you find that, when, especially when you spend uh, maybe, maybe prolonged periods of time, there's that prolonged exposure to each other, that you, you find that you're, you're just like this person in a lot of ways. That can be scary sometimes, right? Because uh, maybe... Maybe the, what, what, for whatever reason, you know, you, you think about the, this friend and, and you've gotten yourselves in trouble over the years together just through, you know, just through life, maybe even through your, your silliness, your goofiness, but you can laugh about it when you think about those things. This passage this morning isn't necessarily a passage that's teaching us on, on friendship per se, but the idea of friendship comes up at a moment in this text when it becomes very crucial to the argument that James is making. It becomes very central to his point in thinking about friendship or what he's going to describe as friendship with the world. And so I want us to think about friendship and, and, and think about our friends and those relationships and what it is that, that connects us and bonds us together because the idea of friendship itself and understanding the friendship that we have and the, and the nature of those relationships I think will be important for us to understand what he's talking about when he calls this friendship with the world that he says is enmity with God. And we're going to, of course, examine what all of that means as we dig into this text this morning. And so I want to read together James Chapter 4, the first six verses, and then I want us to examine what this teaches us ultimately about God's grace 
for our lives. So read with me from James 4.1. He writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is with no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so this morning as we study this, of course, the the point of this passage is so that we might understand how we can receive the grace of God, how we can live our lives experiencing God's grace on display in in, in a daily way in our lives. And so in order to do that, we have to, of course, understand not only what it takes to live under God's grace, but even as it points us to in this passage, the things that would become hindrances or barriers to us experiencing that grace at work in our lives. And so I want us to study this. And essentially, as James proposes this idea, as he's, as he's unfolding these instructions, he, he essentially puts it in the simple form of a problem and a solution, right? There's essentially in this passage a problem and a remedy, a solution for us to consider. And so I want us to study the passage along those same lines. Verses 1 through 4 really give us a problem, identify a problem, and verses 5 and 6 give us a solution to that same problem and then instruction on how we should live. And so let's look first at the problem. He diagnoses the problem in verses 1 through 4. So let's look at the problem that's diagnosed. Essentially what you find in these first four verses is that there is a downward spiral of our desires. And the, the downward spiral of our desires leads to all kinds of problems in our lives. So essentially what he's going to tell us is that that unchecked desires, this downward spiral of our desires begins with unchecked desires. And when we don't keep those desires in check, then we end up selfishly pursuing those desires, selfishly chasing after those desires, when instead we should be praying to God and asking for God's will. We should be surrendered to the, the will of God so that we might live under the grace of God. But instead, because we've not checked our desires, because we've not dealt with our desires, we selfishly then pursue those desires. And that, that hedonistic pursuit of those desires, that unchecked, unfettered pursuit of those desires that we have then leads to all kinds of problems. Coveting, he, he says, uh, look at the, the list of some things here, right? That, that it leads to uh, m- murder, coveting, uh, he says, fights, quarrels, these are all things kind of related to these unchecked passions that we pursue when, when we shouldn't. And so the point then is that what starts with the selfish desires of our heart ends in a form of ruin, what he would describe here again as fights and quarrels, conflict between us. And those things don't have to be. We don't have to live with that tension. We don't have to live with that conflict in our lives if instead we would bring those desires under the submission of God's authority and His His will for our lives and live 
covered by his grace. And, and that's the point, ultimately. So the problem is diagnosed, first of all, here for us. There are essentially three problems that he gives us in this passage, in these verses. And, and basically, what he's doing is he's covering all of, our, all of his ground. That, that we all find ourselves at war at some point point with ourselves, with others, with God. We all find ourselves at some point engaged in this conflict based around these desires that we have. So the first problem, of course, is problems with, within ourselves. Problems within ourselves. And the problem within ourselves essentially is that we have desires that we are giving into, that we are pursuing, when instead we, we should be surrendered to Christ. Right, he says specifically, he says this, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Can you ever think of a time in your life when you've asked, maybe even you've asked for the right thing, but you did, you did it for the wrong reasons, where you've wanted good things even, but you wanted good things for selfish reasons? That's what James is describing here. You have not because you ask not, but even when you do ask, you ask for the wrong reasons because you want to spend these things on your passions. And so you're asking God for his grace. You're asking God for his work in your lives, but really all you want is you want to be able to spend those things on your own passions and your own desires. It's a problem within ourselves, right? He even says in verse 1, he even says it quite quite plainly and rather to the point he says what is the problem that you have he says is it not this your passions are at war within you your passions are at war within you so you have problems with yourself right the inner problems inner conflict inner inner desires that are leading to these outward problems that you have but it of course problems within ourselves it, it begins within ourselves. I don't know about you, but I can think of times in my life when I have, when I've had something good and I wasted it away on, on my selfish wants and desires. Now, this isn't confession. I'm not going to walk you through all of those times, right? But, but I can think of times in my life when, when I have mismanaged, is I think an appropriate word, mismanaged God's goodness and his, and his mercy toward me, and that I have spent that on things that don't matter. I've, I've chased after the wrong things. And no doubt you can relate. I know that you can because just as I have been there and done that, I, I know that you have as well. And, and the problem is that a problem within ourselves, first and foremost, that our passions are at war within us. The word passion there in the Greek language, the, the, the words... The word is hedone, which is where we get our word hedonism, right? It's the idea that we have these passions, these desires, these things that we want, and we chase after those things. And, and of course, that, that's not healthy in any of our lives because the problem is you and I don't want for the right things. I mean, the, 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 the basic truth is this. Our passions, our desires, the Scripture teaches us, are broken because we want for the wrong Things And so when we spend our lives chasing after those desires, we'll be disappointed every time. So we have problems within ourselves. Secondly, we have problems with others, right? Again, he's covering all of his ground here. Problems within ourselves, problems with others as well. Think about the problems that you've had in your relationships over time because you have selfishly 
gone after what you wanted rather than maybe looking out for the, the good of, of others, looking out for the good of your friends. That at the most fundamental, basic level in our relationships, our conflicts can be boiled down to this. It's a conflict of desires. And so think about what friendship is, right? I, I told you that this, this kind of came to the surface at a key point in what, in what James is writing about here. He, he describes friendship with the world. Now, friendship itself, at its most basic level, is a comfortable fondness that we have for other people, right? There's, there's comfort in those friendship relationships. We're comfortable with other people, and that's why we're friends with them. We have a fondness, a like for other people, and that's what causes us to have friendship with them, right? At the most basic level, friendship is that we like other people. We, we like them. We have a close relationship with them, a fondness even. But think about what that means if we apply that same idea to the world. If we have a comfort, a level of comfort with the things of the world, if we have a fondness, an affection for the things of the world, a friendship with the world, James says that that ultimately creates enmity with God. Now, you may read that, you may hear that and think, what is enmity? It sounds like the word enemy, right? And, and it points us in a very similar direction. It's not, it, it's not necessarily meaning enemy, although he brings that word into play in a moment and we'll deal with that. But this word enmity essentially means a, a deep-seated ill will. It's a state of deep-seated ill will. And so the word in, again, in the original languages, a word that is, that is translated in this passage to mean, to mean enmity. In other passages in the New Testament, that same word is translated to mean hostility. So think of it that way. That the friendship with the world, the friendship that we have with the world, creates hostility in our relationship with God. So we have problems within ourselves. We have problems with others as well. And that ultimately these things really show the, the root source of our problem. And that, of course, is that we have problems with God. Problems within ourselves, problems with others really point us to the greatest problem that any of us have, and that is that we have problems, if you will, in our relationship with God. There's a problem with our relationship with God. There's a brokenness in our relationship with God because we have made ourselves friends of the world, and that friendship with the world has introduced what he's calling here enmity, ill will, hostility even, in our relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter 2, we find that Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 2, and he's writing these beautiful words about the grace of God and how Christ overcame that hostility that was created by our friendship with the world. Listen to these words in Ephesians chapter 2, and, and I'm going to highlight specifically the word hostility as I read it in this passage, because that same word hostility from Ephesians 2 is the very same word that is translated enmity in James chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 2, 13 tells us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, there's that word, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and it might reconcile us both to God in, the, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the point of what Paul's writing is the same point that, that points us to the, the, the grace in this passage in James chapter 4. There is hostility between us and God because of our selfish desires. We have problems within, we have problems with others, but ultimately those things point us to the problems that exist between us and God because at the root level, what we have is a hostility, an enmity toward God because of our friendship with the world, our affection for, our fondness for, we might even say, the things of the world. So the problem is clear. The problem is, is clearly diagnosed for us in this passage. Our relationship with God is broken by our, our desires, by, by the selfish, sinful desires of our hearts. But the good news is that it doesn't stop there. We're not, we're not condemned to live in that place with a broken relationship with God, broken relationships with others, and even that brokenness within ourselves because of what Christ did for us. Christ who broke down the walls of hostility, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, by offering himself up for us on the cross. So the remedy is described, the solution, if you will, in verses 5 and 6 of this same passage. If we have the problem that exists in the first four verses, we have the remedy, the solution that exists in these latter verses. The remedy can be summed up really in, in this one word, right? The word grace. What is God's solution for our selfish desires? What is God's solution for the brokenness and the problems that are created in our lives because we pursue our selfish desires? We live in rebellion toward Him? Well, the, the easiest way to summarize that is, is this, grace. God gives us grace. And so it tells us he gives more grace in verse 6, right? He gives more grace. God's answer for the problems that you have, God's answer for the brokenness in your life, God's answer for your sin and your rebellion against him is grace. I think about how think about how earth-shattering that news is because sometimes we become so comfortable with that that we think, yeah, of course it is, right? Of course God's solution. Because we, we've grown comfortable with the idea that God is loving and that God is forgiving. But think for a moment of what we deserve. We don't deserve the grace that he's given to us. Instead, what we deserve is the brokenness that our selfish desires produce. What we deserve is the, 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 the punishment, ultimately, that should be ours because of those desires. The wrath of God, which our sin deserves is not given to us because God has poured out his grace for us. And that changes everything. God's grace changes everything for us. It says in verse 5, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. What is James talking about? That he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Well, the easiest way that I can think to summarize this 
is, is to say it, to say it that, this way. God desperately wants to be connected to us. God desperately wants to be connected to us. But there's a gap that exists. If you, if you can think of the, the, the illustration that is used at times that shows man on one side of a, of a, of a cliff, a precipice of sorts, and that God is on the other, and, and there's a distance, there's a, a gap that exists between them, and then oftentimes in this same illustration, there's a picture of a cross that is set down in this gap that exists, and, and the, the horizontal axis of that cross becomes a, a bridge of sorts connecting man to God, and that's called, by the way, that's called the bridge illustration. It's been used in gospel tracts, and it's been used for years in, in a way of explaining and even sharing the gospel, the bridge illustration. And what that picture does for us is it shows us that God gave us Christ to serve as a bridge between, between us and our selfish, broken desires and, and Him and His holiness, His righteousness and His perfection. That Jesus is the one who bridges the gap between us and God. And how does He do that? He does that through grace. And so to say that he yearns jealously over the spirit, that word spirit there means the life that he's caused to dwell within us, that God yearns jealously for our lives means that God's earnest desire is to be one with us, is to be reconciled with us. Of course, there was nothing that we could do in our brokenness and our sin to reconcile ourselves. And so what did God do? He made the way. He offered Christ. He bridged the gap between himself and us through offering Jesus, or as we've already seen in Ephesians, he broke down the wall of hostility that existed by giving us Christ. So the remedy essentially is, is this, God's grace, right? The solution to the problems that you face in life, this passage teaches us, is to humble yourself so that you might receive God's grace. It tells us plainly, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First Peter chapter five, you can make note of that. First Peter chapter five, verse five, teaches the very same thing. In fact, uses that very same phrase in first Peter five, five, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God God resists our pride. Why? Because in, when we live with pride in our lives, when we live with self-reliance, essentially what we do is we, we thumb our nose at God's grace. We thumb our nose at, at His sacrifice, His work that was done for us so that we might be reconciled to Him. God opposes us when we, when we have this pride, but... He gives grace to the humble. So if we will humble ourselves before God, then we can experience His grace. Now next week, in, the, in, in continuing on from this passage next week, we're going to examine how we do that. We're going to examine how we humble ourselves, how we resist the devil, and we draw near to God. Because that's the very next thing that he teaches us in James chapter 4. And, and, and so I hope you'll come back next week as we study and we dig into that, how we can resist the devil, how we can draw near to God. But before we dig into that, I, I want us to first just sit with this thought for a moment. 
God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus, we see, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's what Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ became obedient to the will of God so that he might break down the enmity that exists between us. So that he might bridge the gap that exists between us and God. Christ became for us the sacrifice so that he might pay the price for our sins. It's God's grace. It's God's grace in our lives that we cannot earn, that we cannot deserve, but that he has freely poured out on us. And can I tell you that in, in a way that may seem like I'm oversimplifying this, and I, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, we'll deal with that more in just a moment, but in a way that, that is all too, all too simple, almost, it seems like, all too, that all too good, almost it, it feels like it's too good to be true even. God has given us grace. Now, it's not too good to be true because of the one who we're trusting in, Right? See, if someone else came to you, one of your friends, someone else that you know, who themselves is a sinner, and they said, you know what, hey, listen, I've done it for you. I've paid the price for you. That would be too good to be true. Because if they had paid any price, it would be for their own sin. But Christ offered himself for us. So it's not too good to be true because he lived that perfect, sinless life. And if we would trust in him by faith, receiving his grace, then we can be reconciled to God. Okay, so how do we develop that, that humility? Where, where do we get this kind of humility? Well, this passage points us to prayer. The passage teaches us that we pray for the wrong things. Verse 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your desires. There's a brokenness even in the way that we pray, in the way that we approach God because of the selfish desires. And so what we, instead, what we must do is humble ourselves, submit ourselves to God's authority, and in prayer, begin to seek his will for our lives. So we pray the right way. We pray for the right things, but we pray the right way too. Jesus modeled and demonstrated for his disciples a model prayer where he says this, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's, there, in that phrase, there's a submission to God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, I surrender myself, I submit myself to your kingdom, your will, your purpose. He's teaching us that this is how we ought to pray. This is how we ought to approach God with this posture of humility and submission to his will. Rather than being submitted to our passions and our desires, instead we ought to be submitted to the will of God. And when we do that, when we humble ourselves, when we submit ourselves to his will, then we can live under his grace. This morning I wonder, has there ever been a time in your life where you have submitted yourself, where you have surrendered yourself even to the will of God, and that you have rested in his grace rather than in your works, that you have trusted by faith in Christ and his payment for sin rather than thinking that somehow you can earn 
your way to God on your own through the things that you do. Through the brokenness that exists in our lives cannot be fixed with the things that we do. In fact, the more we try, it seems like the more broken things become. But if we would trust by faith in Christ and receive His free gift, which is His grace given to us, then we can begin to live under that grace. Then we begin by faith to experience His grace at work in our lives. God opposes the proud. He opposes the one that thinks they can do that on their own, but He gives grace to the humble. This morning, would you be willing to humble yourself before God? Would you be willing to humble yourself that you might live under His grace, covered by His grace? In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And in that time of response today, there's never been a moment in your life where you have surrendered your life to Christ by yielding yourself to his grace. If there's never been that moment where you quit trusting in your own ability to be good enough or to earn your way to God and instead say, God, I, I trust in you because I believe that you can pay the price. You, you have paid the price and you can cover my sin if, if I would just surrender myself to you. If there's never been that moment when you've yielded your life to him, friend, today I pray that you would come forward and you would pray a simple prayer of faith, admitting your need for God's grace believing by faith in his power to forgive you and confessing him as Lord and Savior of your life, that you would live under that grace. Our staff will be here at the front ready to receive you, ready to pray with you during this time of invitation as we sing this song. Maybe today, maybe what you've recognized is that over time you've allowed pride in in yourself, in your wants and your desires to creep in and become the center of your life. And instead, what you need today is to be emptied of all that, to be emptied of self, basically, that you, might, that you might instead experience God's flood of grace pouring over you. To be emptied of your wants and your desires so that the problems that you have with God, which lead also to problems with others and problems even within yourself, your passions that are at war within you, that all of that would find its ultimate solution in the grace of Christ. Our altar will be open. You can come and pray. Again, our staff here ready to pray with you, ready to encourage you, pray with you somehow. If, if, if you would let us to do that for you today. So during this time of response today, I, I hope that you will look inward and you will ask yourself this question. Am I trusting in the grace of Christ or selfishly, pridefully, am I clinging to my own goodness, my own record, my own, my own works somehow, thinking that that will do it? Today, I hope that you would choose to be surrendered to God, surrendered to God through Christ so that you might experience his grace at work in your life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I offer this word of prayer even now, I invite you, I, and I would encourage you to ask God to help you to examine your heart in truthfulness so that if there's any, any pride in you, he might point it out to you, he might reveal it so that you could surrender that to him today. Lord God, 
we thank you for your grace, which has the power to overcome. We're thankful, God, that you, earn, that you yearn jealously for the spirit that you've caused to dwell within us. We understand, God, that you, you desperately wanted to be reconciled to us because of your love for us. And so, God, you stepped out of heaven. You humbled yourself by becoming a man and, and being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Lord, you broke down the wall of hostility that existed between us and you. Lord, we recognize that that's not something we can do on our own, but it's something rather that you did for us. And so God, today, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never received by faith that that free gift that you offer, if they've they've never surrendered their life to, to that grace, which has the power to change us and transform us today, God, We pray that those walls would be broken down by faith as they trust in you. And Lord, the pride that causes us to trust in ourselves, in our own record of goodness, the the pride that causes us to puff out our chest, Lord, that you would, again, convict us of that. We don't want to trust in ourselves because we understand, Lord, that our desires, our wants even are broken and, and, and our solutions to the problem are inadequate. But Lord, by faith, when we trust in you, we receive grace. And so humbly, Lord, we wanna submit ourselves to you that we might receive your grace. We pray all these things in your name.